and welcome to our Valentine's special as part of the Erwin Mitchell podcast series, here to keep you up to date with legal and financial news that matters to you. My name is Zara Pabani. I'm a family lawyer here at Erwin Mitchell and I'll be in the hot seat today. And we'll be discussing love, marriage and money. This podcast comes to you as part of a new initiative at Erwin Mitchell, which is The Female Voice. We're aiming to empower women in every environment and to raise the profile of what matters to women. I'm so pleased that you can join us for this podcast as we speak with the female voice. Now, let me introduce our speakers. I'm delighted to welcome Rachel McLean, founder of the Vida Consultancy, an exclusive matchmaking agency, and Sophie Foxen, wedding planner from Gorecourt Hall, and Marie Kilgallen, senior associate here at Owen Mitchell, specialising in family law. Thank you all for joining me today as we speak with the female voice. Now, before we get started, I thought I'd kick off with a light-hearted question. Valentine's Day is nearly upon us. So, Rachel, what are you doing? First of all, thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, midweek Valentine's Day, so it's going to be cuddled up on the sofa with um, a nice meal and a bottle of wine, nothing too fancy. And then we usually prefer to go out at the weekend. If uh... you tell me, do you still buy each other a present or a card? Mm, a card, yes. Presents, no. Maybe oh. I might get some flowers if I'm lucky. Oh, well, I hope you're very lucky. <laughs> Sophie, what about you? Hi, Zara. Well, it's a bit of a special Valentine's Day for us this year. It's our fifth one together. So I think we're going to go out for a lovely meal at our local pub. Oh, wow, that's nice. Oh, I'm pleased. It's nice to see you celebrating it. And Marie, what about you? I think being midweek, I'm in the thick of it with children at the moment. So I'm standing at the side of an AstroTurf pitch watching football training until about 8pm. But what Valentine's Day does make me think about is we do need to pause sometimes and take some time to be together with our loved ones. So I'm sure we'll arrange something on one of the weekends and and have a night out. So let me tell you what I'm doing. I've booked a Chinese restaurant, early sitting so that my six-year-old doesn't fall asleep at the table, uh, but a 6pm sitting at a local Chinese. I think it, I mean, I think it's nice to do something if you can. If you can, it's always nice to do something. So listen, we're talking about love, marriage and money today. So let's start with love. Um, And Marie and I may be uh, divorce lawyers, but we are hopeless romantics as well. So Rachel, let's start with you. I think we can well and truly say that online dating, dating agencies, they're the way forward in terms of meeting people these days. No longer taboo. It's the norm. And it's still a booming business. But I think and I hear that. Yeah, and I have to do it as well. You have to kiss a lot of frogs. So how do you advise people to manage this process, Rachel? The first thing I will say is that most people find dating an absolute nightmare. People come to me and they have very successful lives and seem very full and happy and they've achieved a lot. And as soon as I ask them about their experience with dating I can see body language change and they just feel exhausted and kind of in despair and I think it seems a little bit crazy that there are so many services out there now with the whole huge I mean there's thousands and thousands of dating apps that cater for every single every single type of person every single need and now probably thousands of dating agencies as well that are scattered around the world For me, I think the number one piece of advice I can give to anyone is you need to have some kind of plan in place. It's not a fly by the seat of your pants kind of approach, which is what bizarrely a lot of people tend to do. And they're not applying the uh, principles that they would apply to any other goal in life. So having some sort of plan, I think, is absolutely paramount and that we've actually structured our, our whole service around helping our clients to develop a plan and then putting that in place for them 
but the planning that we do can also be applied to people um, who are just wanting to date online or you know not necessarily using a matchmaking service um but it's so really it's interesting really isn't it yeah it's really interesting that Rachel what you say is that in business they might be hugely successful but then personally they fall down and when you say a plan what do you mean like setting aside time you know choosing the right people what do you mean by the plan it feels like it's another full-time job. I'm yeah, find... I know. It sounds daunting. It sounds so unromantic, doesn't it? But actually, we we do the unromantic bit and then leave the fun for the clients to have. So we have a, a sort of five-step framework that we guide our clients through. Very briefly, the first step is really about the client getting to know themselves, understanding their values, their outlook on life. If you don't know who you are as an individual, you can't articulate that clearly, then you've kind of fallen at the first hurdle. The second step is then building a profile of your ideal partner. And we guide our clients even in terms of how to determine what a compatible match would actually look like. So we go back and reflect on previous relationships. We look at the client's values. There's all sorts of exercises that we use. None of it is rocket science. It's actually really straightforward, but most people just don't do it. Third step, we look at the relationship dynamics itself. Um, So looking at the roles in the relationship, communication styles, love languages, all sorts of different things, um, even some practical elements as well. Um, And then we start to think about, okay, how do we go about finding this person that our client wants to meet? Where are they? Are they on Tinder or are they someone that the the client is working next to in, in their office building and So we come up with a whole strategy around that. And then um, the fifth step is really the the fun bit, which is getting out there and dating with meaning and purpose and knowing that when you're going on a date, it's not just a numbers game, because that's when it just sucks the life out of people. if They feel I'm going on a date because if I I go on 100 dates in a year, I must find someone statistically that that will work for some people. It doesn't work for most people. That's incredible, Rachel. Five steps to find love. I mean, I didn't know that. And I I did um, online dating and it took me a year or so. And I probably did do the scattergun approach, which was a little bit depressing. It has to be said. So I wish I'd have known you at that time. But But it works. It worked. It, it did work. And I'm happy to it. It did work. <laughs> but it was hard. And I felt like giving up quite a lot, you know, at certain stages. So I think you can make it a better experience. But I think, you know, what you're saying as well is like we invest in the gym or we invest in our jobs or we are looking for a new job, looking for that person to spend the rest of your life with. I think you've got to invest, haven't you? You've got to invest time and sometimes money. You've got to invest and both. You need to, you need to educate yourself as well or find someone who can do that part for you in terms of if you're looking for a career change you might go and see a career coach some kind of expert you go through training you read and you're you're constantly learning we take proactive steps towards achieving health goals all the time we go and see a personal trainer and you know which I think is a really a really useful analogy and uh, but yet when it comes to finding love for some bizarre reason, we just still want it to happen like in the Disney movies where we do. It'll, just, it'll just happen by fluke, by chance, catching someone's eye across a crowded room. And there are some of us who are very lucky for that to happen or having a, a nice introduction through a friend, which actually is what happened to me. But most people in this day and age, are they're busy and they're moving around a lot. And it's a different there, world, isn't it, we live in, Rachel? It's a different world. Yeah, you know, I was worried because when I went online, I was thinking, oh, I'm not going to get that love at first sight scenario. Whereas I emailed and called with some calls with my husband. But then when I met him, 
12 years ago on the 12th of February. I can honestly say when I met him at that train station, I did something flipped in my stomach. So that magic did happen. So anyway, that, it, it happened for me and I hope it happens for lots of other people. Sophie, I was just did wondering, you? do you believe in soulmates? Depends what would you define as a soulmate. So do you mean the one and only, like just one? Or... Yeah, I, I guess everyone has a different definition of what a soulmate is. But for me, I would probably say, yeah, that that sort of one and only person that you're supposed to be with. It's quite interesting because everybody has such a different view on, you know, you have different soulmates as you progress through life, don't you? I was wondering what you thought about that. My honest view is I think I don't believe that there is just one person out there. I think that a fundamental, very compatible life partner, whether it leads to marriage or not, uh, will be someone who shares your your values and your outlook on life. And I don't believe there's only one person who shares your values. I think there's there could be a multitude of people and they're not even necessarily on your doorstep, which is what used to happen back in the good old days when you <laughs> yeah. would just fall in love with the boy down the road or the girl down the road. And um, nowadays, people are finding love all over the world with people who are very different in terms of their cultural bringing, religious upbringing. Um, their whole stories are so different, but the way they live life, what gives them fire in their belly every day is is so fundamentally similar. And that's when the magic happens, when two people who you just would never have expected it meet and there's there's a meeting of minds and it's essentially a meeting of values and outlook. And I think it's interesting, isn't it, Sophie? It's a really good question you ask about soulmates. But the reality is some people have really long relationships that are happy and they have kids. And then for whatever reason, they kind of grow apart or move apart and they go on to find another real love. So I think I think I agree with, with, with Rachel yeah. in that way. But Sophie, I mean, we could talk to Rachel all day. I know we will come back to you, Rachel. <laughs> but let's move on to the marriage part, Sophie. So yep. we find love. And then some of us want to get married, some of us don't. But those of us who do, this is where you come in. But first of all, I've got to ask you, you're a wedding planner. Was that a childhood dream? Well, it's a bit of a funny story, actually, Zara. So my mum actually bought uh, Gorkot Hall back in 2003. She was actually going through a divorce at the time and she wanted a little bit of a project to, uh, to you know, give us something to do and whatnot. And she actually bought a very derelict rundown 500 year old house so um we we lived in a caravan on the car park for about 18 months while she's renovated each room very lovingly and uh, a couple of years into the renovation one of her friends actually asked if we would host her wedding at Gorkot and it actually just sort of snowballed from there really so uh, whether it was a childhood dream or something that I've just grown up with it's just one of those really and I went off to university and studied business uh, and and events and yeah I've just naturally fallen into the role of planning weddings. Tell me what do people want these days do people still want the big white wedding particularly in this day where people are trying to save money and concerned about money what's happening what, what are they looking like weddings these days? Do you know what honestly I would say people do want a white wedding but with a bit of a twist to it so whether it's you know people getting married later in the day and having sort of a twilight wedding and you know losing the sort of the formal wedding breakfast aspect of the day or you know just having a little bit of a modern twist on it you know not having a wedding cake things like that really um, but I would definitely say people are still very much into the big white wedding and, you know, having the beautiful dresses and, you know, some of the formalities. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, well, those are two things I've never heard. So twilight wedding. Never heard that before. That's interesting. Yeah. And then they have the cake. 
I like cake. Why would you not have cake? Well, you know, some people like the more, you know, you know, we see a lot of donut towers and pork pies instead of cakes these days. So just having a bit of a, a twist to it, really. Yeah, I love it. I love it. All about what, choice, um, really. If I can ask, Sophie, what is a twilight wedding? So a twilight wedding is where couples choose to get married later in the day. So, you know, around four or five o'clock. And then that means they obviously have a shorter reception time. So it's more about having a lovely romantic ceremony with you, maybe your nearest and your dearest. And then, you know, inviting a lot more people and having a, a larger party. So it's, for them, it's more about the, the ceremony and the party and not so much about the food, if that makes sense. So, yeah. yeah. Nice. Nice. I love the fact that people have choice. So, OK, so we've done the love piece. We've done the getting married piece. People are going to think we're crazy. But obviously now we're bringing in the family lawyer to talk about the money piece. So, Marie, I think people we know people can be afraid to jump into a relationship, particularly if they've been burnt before, whether they're moving in with somebody or whether they're going to get married. Because financial security, again, in this current environment that we're in, is so incredibly and understandably important to people. So where do you come in? How can people protect themselves? Thanks, Zara. I think what's really interesting listening to Rachel and Sophie is that what we are all trying to do is help people plan for their relationships, whether that be getting together the big day or perhaps the long term aspect of it. So I would help advise people who are starting a relationship, perhaps looking at moving in together or getting married about how they can possibly protect themselves financially. If we're looking at people perhaps in later life, it might be their second marriage or they're moving in together after a divorce, they may be bringing to that relationship um, wealth that they've already accumulated. So they may own a property, they may already have a pension or a business they want to protect. And we can do various things to try and protect those assets. They may want to ensure they're passed to their own children if they were to die or protect them upon separation. If a party is looking to move in together, we might look at doing a living together agreement or a cohabitation agreement, which sort of sets the ground rules for how you are going to live together. It reminds me a bit, Rachel, of what you've said about dating and it being slightly unromantic, but having that conversation at the start about how you'll manage your finances and the expectations of how the household will run, etc., can be really important to set up the relationship long term and make it work. And then, of course, for people who are getting married, we can look at prenuptial agreements to protect perhaps, say, inheritance assets that are already acquired. Um, they're not binding in England and Wales, but they are becoming increasingly persuasive. And we're filing that even in cases where there isn't lots and lots of wealth, people want to protect things they've already acquired, particularly in that later life stage. But I think, isn't it right, Marie, you know, we're saying that, you know, dating online and, and matchmaking agencies, they're the norm. I almost think prenups are now getting to be a little bit of the norm more of an everyday but they're not just for the rich and famous they don't just happen on tv and in the states i mean are you regularly instructed on them i mean we are absolutely regularly instructed on them and, and deal with prenups in terms of drafting them a lot the balance still tips in favor advising people who are getting divorced who would say to me had i known about a prenuptial agreement when i got married it is something i would have done so getting that message out there and people taking that advice at the earliest possible stage and sometimes that advice won't come from a family lawyer because you may not think to contact a lawyer to start your relationship it will have to come through other avenues such as financial advisors, you know, friends, family, you know, marketing, PR, whatever it may be. But raising the profile of the steps you can take to protect your wealth will stand people in good stead if they then separate or get divorced. 
So let's say, for example, a lot of my clients are very successful, very wealthy. And um, so let's say someone starts a relationship with someone who is financially less well off. Fast forward a period of time, they decide to get married. Um, maybe they come back to me and, and are you know, asking me for some advice on on what to do with you know basically around a, a prenup or something which of course is definitely not not my area of expertise I pick up the phone to you Marie but what what my clients might ask me is how did they open the conversation with the person that they're getting married to because it's such a it's such a sensitive topic do you advise people on on how to actually broach the subject we absolutely can. We would possibly in that situation speak, speak to um, that individual, talk to them really about what it is they're trying to protect and try and really drill down into why they're trying to protect it. If we can understand the why and they can understand the why, that conversation will be much easier. So if it's perhaps it's a business they've built up over a number of years and getting married then puts that business at risk during divorce, that could be the opening conversation to try and protect what they've built up. It may well be they say we'll share in whatever we produce during the endeavour of our marriage or perhaps they can put something else in place but they want to protect that particular asset or in the case of parties who are uh, getting married and they have children they want to pass their wealth down the bloodline we can mm -hmm. certainly be saying that as an opening conversation well surely we both want to make sure our own children are looked after first and then we can think about what provision we make for each other and perhaps any future children born into the marriage um, it's definitely a tricky conversation Rachel there's no doubt about that but understanding the why is really important and I think what we do, uh, Marie, I think you'll agree with me, we coach people. We Absolutely. We're not just lawyers. You know, we actually spend time coaching people and say we get that this is difficult. You know, talking to people about we're getting married. You know, you're getting married for love, not money. You're getting married for love. And that person is marrying you for love, not your money. And let's talk about it. Let's talk about, as as Maria said, and as you have alluded to as well, Rachel, it's about values, isn't it? It's about values. And you've got to be able to have an open conversation that you can trust somebody that they're not going to abuse your heart, but nor your wealth as well. So respecting and trusting each other to have an open conversation at the beginning to say, listen, we want this to be, we want to be together forever. But if we're not, you don't want to end up in a courtroom opposing each other and spending loads of money on lawyers why don't we avoid that bit and talk now about if it doesn't work out what will we walk away with and sometimes the financially stronger party will say well you haven't got very much if we break up I'm not going to see you walk away with with nothing you've come with nothing I'm going to make sure you're okay so actually Absolutely. it gives people a sense of certainty as well which can be so important to people um okay let, let's let's flick back to love so we've talked, Rachel, about the fact that people can meet people much later in life. And that's because maybe they're focused on their careers like I did. Or perhaps they're using this approach after a failed relationship or marriage. So with these people later in life, and I know you've talked about the five steps already. Is there anything different you would advise people when they're looking for love, when they're older, more mature, kind of know what they want in terms of their life moving forward. Is, is there a different focus or a different approach? So when you are younger, you're young, free and single and you haven't got a care in the world, it is very much about you and the other person and you kind of create the backdrop between the two of you. It's usually quite simple if you want to uproot and relocate somewhere. Um, at a later stage in life, it's usually a little bit more complicated because you will have uh, your roots set somewhere your partner could be based somewhere else so there's the the distance 
um, to consider um, if you have children as well. You've got a routine and you've got commitments, essentially. People quite often describe it as baggage. I don't, I don't like describing it as that, but essentially, you know, that's what people are referring to quite often. And so when you're looking for a relationship in, in later life, I think it's it's more important or, or it's important to focus a little bit more on the um, the backdrop of the relationship, not just the person that you want to meet. Um, so there's just it just requires a little bit more depth of thought and consideration around logistics, um, around the practicalities and where you're both going to be living and who's moving in with who. And um, if it's all handled in the right way and there's open, clear communication, and again, that's where a matchmaker can come in to be very useful or a date coach, then the it, it can be it can be really exciting because it can open up a whole very exciting new chapter in life while some sometimes still maintaining the um the independence that was there before and I think I think I like what you say about the coaching element of it which I think is really important because the the older you are and maybe you're really successful in your business and you're running a business or running a house and home maybe you know that's your that's your that's your job that's your remit in life finding the time to then make whether it be a five-step plan or looking at the landscape and doing the things can be so overwhelming and I think that's the benefit and value of turning to somebody like you and saying help me you know where do I start um and looking at the geography and all the bits that you're talking about I just think it's so important it's great to know because I don't think everybody realizes even though you can do a lot of online stuff I don't think people realize that there are such bespoke services like you provide but also finding a partner in later life for most people, they're absolutely terrified because they have been absolutely. maybe they've been married for decades um, or they've lost a partner. So then they're experiencing feelings of of guilt and you know that they shouldn't move on. And should they? And, you know, there's all sorts of emotions that go on as well. And that can often present as a bit of a block, really. So, again, being able to work with an expert who understands and has experience and can help you to draw those feelings to the surface and gain closure and everything else that can also be really uh really useful and um just also getting used to the whole uh premise of dating as someone who might be in their 50s 60s or 70s when they were maybe last single when they were in their 20s or 30s and their their body was a bit different back then and yeah. <laughs> there's so many different things to think about so just having having someone there as a sounding board can be really useful and Rachel, from my perspective, the world changed from somebody who's slightly older, from dating in your 20s to, to, to now dating with social media and text messages. And I know that sounds a bit naive, but when I was younger, mobile phones are just 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 coming out. So perhaps it is a completely different world for people in later life, just from a technology point of view. Yes. And funnily enough, I was literally just speaking with one of my clients this morning who's in his late 60s. And he, uh, I was trying to explain to him how to use Zoom. So anyway, we got that up and running. It actually was pretty straightforward. But he was speaking to me on Zoom. Um, it was the first time I've ever had a video call with him. But it was that classic where he's speaking down into his phone with the camera kind of shot up his nostrils. Um, so, <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm experiencing this because now it's like the simplest thing. If you're speaking to someone, especially in a dating context on video, make sure that the camera is set at eye level or slightly above 
um, rather than down low because it's um, you need to have a more flattering angle. And absolutely, um, the you know younger generations are maybe they're used to speaking all the time on on Zoom and on Teams and everything else. You know, various different formats of video call. Um, but there's a lot of people out there that are maybe they're retired and aren't just aren't used to video calls at all so it's just you know there's so there must be thousands and thousands of different things that need to be thought of and considered I've been doing this for 17 or 18 years so I just live and breathe dating every single day Um, but for most people it is such an alien concept and terrifying and it really doesn't have to be at all I tell you what else makes me think of it regularly is rejection can be so blooming painful. And I remember when I was dating, even though I didn't like the person, if they rejected me immediately and I wasn't, I was still kind of horrified about what, why could they not want to see me, even if I didn't want to pursue that with them? Those little things can chip away at your confidence sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. We have um, one of our uh, dating psychologists uh, talks a lot about rejection um and one interesting piece of advice that she shares which is just so true is that dating um online dating in particular quite often people approach it like it's some sort of popularity contest so they write their profile with the aim of i want my profile to appeal to as many people as possible because that's my route to finding someone successfully and actually that's not the right way to go about it the right way is to make sure that your profile doesn't appeal to certain people who aren't right for you and only appeals to that select few who really could be compatible. Um, And on that basis, you kind of, you need to have a certain level of rejection because that will help you to find the right person. Uh, And equally, I I speak to lots of people who say, I don't like the fact that I'm being rejected. And, um, but then I'll politely point out to them all the people that they have also (laughs) rejected. It's always a two way street. I think that reminds me of the saying, it's better to be somebody's shot of whiskey than everybody's cup of tea. Yes. That, <laughs> that, I, I'm going to hold on to that, Sophie. You. <laughs> you've nailed it there, Sophie. You've nailed it there. So listen, Sophie, coming back to you, it's Valentine's Day. And I don't know if it's thought of as cheesy, but let's assume that lots of people might be popping the question across all our different networks um, and asking people to marry them. What advice do you give to newly engaged couples when they're embarking on, you know, starting to look and think about what they're going to do and when they're going to do it in terms of their big day? Absolutely. So I think, yeah, definitely around this time of the year and over the Christmas and festive periods, people, you know, more people do tend to get engaged. But my best piece of advice is take your time, you know, go and look around as many different venues as you can. Uh, My best tip is actually don't go and see your favourite venue first. Um, okay why is that I just think you know your expectations you want to see what's out there and have something to compare it to um everyone always says to me as well picking a venue is very much like choosing a house you'll go somewhere and you will just know that this is where you're supposed to be getting married um and I think another really important thing is just be very realistic about budget you know don't go and look at places that are double your budget because you will be you know disappointed um at the end of the day um and you know once once you find your venue then start thinking about your what we call our one a dayers so suppliers that can only be in one place um during the day so your photographers your videographers uh you know whether you're going to get married in a church or uh, a civil ceremony they're the ones that you want to start thinking about first and then move on to your nice to haves after that 
I know you do big lavish weddings, but if somebody came to you and said, listen, this is my budget and it's modest, can you say, OK, listen, we can do that. We can work with a smaller budget and a smaller plan because I'm just really conscious that everybody can afford it in this day and age. Absolutely. Yeah. So budget is really important. It's something that we do work within. You know, there are ways to keep budgets down, you know, whether it isn't having a wedding cake or having a, a more informal wedding breakfast where, you you know, instead of doing a three course meal, you might opt for a two course meal or even just sharing platters, which is a really lovely option. There are definitely ways to keep things within a budget. Um, and one of the great things about Gorkot is everything's on site, so you, you don't have to worry about renting cars or anything like that. We we look after all of that for you. Um, but yeah, definitely make sure that you've got your budget outlined. It's really important. I'm curious, Sophie, you might not know the answer to this. It's a leap year this year, isn't it? Doesn't that mean that men now propose this year as opposed to women? Other way around, women propose to men oh, on sorry, that one absolutely. day. Yeah, oh, sorry, absolutely. absolutely. Women propose to men. Well, that'll be really interesting. Do you have a? Do you do you see a, an influx? Do you see a, a spike on a leap year? Um. Well, yes. Do you know what this year in particular already has been really, really busy for us. So it'll be interesting to see if you know we get more women proposing to men this year. We would love to have that. Oh, that sounds interesting. Sounds interesting. So, um, Marie, coming back to you, what if someone comes to you and talks about a prenup or a living together agreement, but they just say, well, I just literally can't do that. I literally for, it will not it will affect my relationship. It will. You know, that person won't want to marry me anymore if I start having this conversation with them. I mean, you're not we're not in the business of breaking up relationships, of course. So what do you do in that situation? How do you advise people to proceed? Well, the first thing I think, Zara, is it's great they've had that information. I'd rather people have the information and make a conscious choice, whichever way that may be, than be left with a, a, a situation where perhaps they're separating, getting divorced and wish they'd known. So taking the advice in the first instance, being forewarned is forearmed, is great. Um, it differs really if you're going to live together or if you're going to marry. If parties are simply going to live together, there are some quite practical steps that can be taken to protect yourself, which is trying not to mingle your finances, keep them very separate. Um, if a property is already owned in the sole name of one party rather than the other, and that happens to be the person you're advising, to make sure it stays in their sole name and contributions are not taken from the other party to avoid cohabitation claims. So practically, there's lots of practical advice that could be taken. If parties are getting married, again, we can think about things practically, but marriage does put things on a slightly different footing in terms to how the court treat assets such as pensions and business assets. But keeping things separate is really key. So for example, if during the marriage an inheritance falls in, not paying the mortgage off in the family home would be a really good idea and keeping it separate to try and advance an argument at a later date that that asset is definitely not a matrimonial asset. But of course, it depends at what stage parties get divorced, what they're doing at the time, their financial position, whether or not they have children. And unfortunately, neither we nor they have a crystal ball. Um, so that the best thing to do is to do the prenuptial agreement, but it does remain a decision for the individual and not everyone wants to do it. Absolutely. It's all about choice, isn't it? Giving people options, giving people choice so they can make an informed decision. And I think it's just take some advice, take some early advice and then make the call about what you want to do. That makes sense. So, Rachel, what's the secret of a long and happy marriage or relationship? And how do you coach people to help them find that longevity that they all want, that it's not a fly by night shotgun wedding and then it's over in a minute? You know, what's the secret to making it last forever? 
I think that the secret to making it last forever is probably getting it right in the first place, <laughs> finding the right partner. So doing the work at the beginning to know yourself and know what sort of partner that you would really be compatible with and focus on finding that person um, and not just leaving it down to chance. And then when you're in a relationship, um, there's all sorts of things that you can do um, either on your, I mean, there's so much resource online. It is just incredible. Um, but also seeing a, a, a relationship coach when you're in a relationship, I think can be very valuable. Most people seek um, support from marriage counsellors or relationship counsellors when they've already hit rock bottom. Um, and by that point, it then usually ends up just developing into a conversation about let's try and minimise the damage by going through some sort of breakup. Um, but what a lot of people don't realise is that relationship coaches um, and counsellors can also be there to just maintain a really strong relationship in the first place before there's any problems. So that's a big focus of what we do as well is is helping people to just have that maintenance, um, learn to enjoy each other, learn each other's love languages. There's you can in, in, insert some playfulness into getting to know each other in the date night date night Rachel. Yeah. it's got to still be important date night but, I mean I think you know just having that regularly celebrating somebody because I mean what life is can be hard you know we work hard days are long I mean whether you're working from home or in the office whether you're in traffic or you're on teams back to back and then you're exhausted by the end of the day then you've got to sort the kids out etc etc I think it's so important isn't it just to remember stop take a breath for yourself have some me time and I think Rachel you talked about that earlier you know navel gazing and thinking about who you are and what you want so I think in this life stop and think about yourself and then just stop and think about other people as well and your loved one just whether it be your girlfriend boyfriend husband spouse whoever it is um or is it just somebody your mum or your dad down the street is it somebody who you just want to reach out to and you know show that you care because I think that's what people forget don't we because we're busy we don't do it on purpose we forget because we're busy yeah we're we're always living in a some sort of state of chaos it seems in today's world just rushing from one thing to the next um and that elevates levels of stress and then that can break down relationships, as you said, you know, not just romantic relationships, but even with friendships and family members. And I think whenever that happens, it's important to just reflect on what what have I enjoyed with that person when things were really good, um, which leads to date nights is such a brilliant, brilliant way to just reignite the flame. Um, I'm a big believer in that. Um, or having weekends away with your partner if you've got young kids. I'm also a big believer in that. <laughs> I do that <laughs> multiple times a year with my partner. Um, and, you know, it genuinely really does help. Um, and then approaching it from a slightly different angle, um, also learning how to fight well, um, which sounds a bit controversial, but that's um, the, the Gottman Institute talk a lot about that um, healthy fighting and just sort of learning how to navigate out of a of an argument because we all argue we all bicker absolutely that's part of part of any any relationship that we have whether it is romantic or friendships or whatever um, um but actually learning how to to fight well or to argue well is probably the better way to describe it um absolutely. can also be quite a healthy thing 
I totally agree with that. I'm a, I'm a, a lawyer and my husband is a teacher. I like arguing. He doesn't. I love it when we have a blooming good argument. I feel so <laughs> kind of refreshed and elated afterwards, whereas he's going, that was awful. I feel depressed. But I'm like, no, no, we're good now. We've done that. We've got that out of the way. But it is, I, I hear you when you say that. I also think, Rachel, learning to say sorry when it's not even your fault sometimes. Just sometimes we've got to move on. Yeah, I'm sorry and thank it. you. Yeah, I'm sorry, thank you, and I love you. I mean, we just need to use those words a little bit more. I mean, Marie, bringing you in here, some of the relationship breakups we see can be so sad because it's just because someone's taken their eye off the ball. This whole growing apart thing, you know, often people think we see breakups because there's always a third party involved. I wouldn't say that's true, would you? I wouldn't say that's true at all, actually. Um, and actually, the EastEnders type scenario of a, a divorce or separation where you think there's some dramatic blowout is actually a rare occurrence. And there are lots of cases where it is drifting apart. And, and the thing that struck me, Rach, when you were speaking about long term relationships was expectation and change, which is to understand that perhaps in a relationship it's not always going to stay, stay the same and to expect those changes and sometimes when you're on a high your, your partner may be on a low and vice versa and I think sometimes in, in divorces are perhaps we see people who haven't expected their partner to change as much as they did perhaps having after having children or after retirement and those key life stages and it may well be that in those scenarios the best thing for those parties to do is to separate and move forward separately and we can certainly help them do that amicably and look at options rather rather than fight it out in court. But perhaps sometimes we always start the conversation by asking, is there a prospect of reconciliation? Would some form of counselling or therapy assist? Um, we're not in the game of divorcing people um, who don't want to be divorced. And perhaps it is sometimes a pause for thought rather than a, an absolute separation. I couldn't agree with you more. We all hit blockers in life. It doesn't mean it's the end. It just means perhaps we need to stop, take stock and reflect. Um, let, let's switch to a happier mode. Sophie. What do you think is the secret to a smooth and successful wedding? I mean, coming to you, it's such a stressful time. You must be part wedding planner and part counsellor. It must be. You must live and breathe these people's lives. So what's the key to success and how do you manage these intense relationships with your clients? I think, you know, planning a wedding can be overwhelming sometimes, but, you know, it's all about going back to base. It's like you said, you're marrying for love and that really has to be the thing that underpins the whole day really it's a celebration of your love and you know sometimes it's about you know going back to that and thinking really you know does it matter if my favors aren't quite right and whatnot and just you, you know going back to that sort of basic we're getting married for that reason um and I think the best my best bit of advice really for getting married and a smooth and successful day is having some time together on the day plan five to ten minutes together and you know because the days just go so so quickly you know you'll spend a lot of time with your friends and family on your own wedding day and not so much time with your partner so make sure you plan those little breaks in oh that sounds lovely i really like that um so listen we're, i'm gonna have to draw to a close at some point here but I think we've got to reflect and say that Valentine's Day can be actually a sad and lonely time for a lot of people. There are many people out there looking for love or feeling lost or they're lonely in their current relationships. Rachel, what's one thing you would say to people about love and life right now? In, in order to find love, I think it's important to start by being proactive and actually quite pragmatic. And then the feelings of romance will come further down the line. Thank you, Sophie. What would you say, say to people about love right now? 
I would say prioritise loving yourself first and then you'll be able to love somebody else. I couldn't agree more. Marie, everybody's going to be interested in what the divorce lawyer's got to say about love right now. <laughs> I think I would say about love is to expect change, to expect that love will change throughout your life at each stage and to embrace that change and seek the support from your partner to, to continue to love each other despite any changes. Thank you so much. All three of you have been fantastic today. So what we want to say to the listeners today is there should be no pressure on you coming up to Valentine's Day. But just remember, a little act of love or kindness can go a long way. And if it's not today, but another day, spoil yourself, spoil your partner or a friend or a family member. Reach out to the ones that you love. Be good to each other and be kind. Whatever that looks like right now, let's just take care and spread a bit of love. And that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening to this Owen Mitchell podcast where we've been speaking today with the female voice. If you found this interesting, then join us for our next episode. Goodbye for now.